Hello, my friends. On this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Autumn Henning. She is a certified and licensed SLP with her C's from ASHA. She's a certified orofacial myologist through the International Association of Orofacial Myology. She's an international board certified lactation consultant. She graduated from the University of Kentucky with her master's in communication disorders. And she's currently appointed and in good standing as an assistant professor within the voluntary faculty series in the Department of Communication and Disorders at the University of Kentucky College of Health Sciences. She was a founding board member for the International Consortium for Oral Ankylophrenula Professionals. Autumn is the owner of Prisalis Orofacial in Greenville, South Carolina. It is the first and only clinic of its kind in the region. Autumn specializes in orofacial function and development throughout the lifespan. She works with infants to adults at her private practice. Through Chrysalis Orofacial, she has developed and taught thousands of professionals in her continuing education courses. She contributes to the profession by writing professional articles, being a guest on numerous podcasts, and speaking for many prestigious conferences and organizations. She's married to Dr. Zach Henning, and they have a daughter, McKenna. They reside in Greenville, South Carolina with their beloved cats. Her hobbies include travel, reading, church, and any activity with her family. So thank you, Autumn. We've, we've tried forever to schedule this podcast. I think it's been like years, to be honest, and we just kept having things come up, scheduling conflicts. So I'm so glad we were finally able to do it. I know that I've I've learned so much from her and in speech pathology and business, and um, I'm just so grateful to have her on the podcast today. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. In the market for fees equipment, but also need fees training and competency mentorship, PatCom Medical is a one-stop shop for all of your fees needs. When you choose PatCom as your equipment provider, you can bundle in a basic fees course and or competency training as part of your equipment purchase in order to receive training from a selection of world-class leaders in fees education. Their team is ready to support you. Reach out at www.patcommedical.com. That's P-A-T-C-O-M-M-E-D-I-C-A-L.com. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, Autumn. Hey there. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I know we've tried to do this several times and here we finally are. Yes, 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 yes. The world did not want us to do this last year, I guess. So here we are finally. So thank you again. So the people don't know who you are. Tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Autumn Henning. I'm an SLP, so speech language pathologist, certified orofacial myologist, and international board certified lactation consultant. 
where I, I live and breathe is pretty much in the mechanics of orofacial dysfunction from birth to adulthood. So I specialize in infant and pediatric feeding and orofacial myofunctional disorders at my private practice in Greenville, South Carolina. And then that's one side of me professionally. And then the other side is that I do consulting and courses. So you may have heard of TOTS training. That's kind of our flagship course. So all courses related to our niche related to orofacial dysfunction. Personally, I'm a mom of a six-year-old and a husband 13 years and have three cats. I love to read and travel. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Autumn. Yeah. You know, I I think what's interesting is like when I first got into, you know, the field of speech pathology and I worked in the schools when I first started and you go through grad school and you learn all about speech and you learn all about language and artic and phonological disorders and and all these things. And then I ended up making the switch to medical in the medical field. It's, you know, aphasia, it's dysphagia, it's voice disorders, things like that. And then it was like a few years ago, this topic kept coming up and I was like, what even is this? And and I know that, you know, some people, there's all sorts of conspiracy theories of what have you, but I actually found it fascinating. Like once I got reading into the literature about stuff, it's so fascinating because I think it's such a huge part of our field that we don't dive into very much. There's different issues in our field that we just can't cover to the depth and breadth that they deserve. But this is one topic that I think is so fascinating that we really may not touch on at all. And, you know, I know that you've done some presentations for the MedSLP Collective because I'm like, I think like we need to get this stuff out there more. Like we have these kids coming into the schools. Some of us working in the medical settings are just seeing these things that just don't fit sort of that stereotypical box that we see. And and we obviously we should never put our patients in a box, but when all you see is a nail all day, what is that saying? When all you have is- When all you see is nails every, or no, when you have a hammer, everything's Everything is a nail. Yes, thank you, thank you. So anyways, yeah, that's why I wanted to bring Autumn on and just really dive into this topic a little bit more because I think it deserves a lot more credit than it gets. So Yeah. yeah. I think that was a really good point. And something I always like to talk about is- are you functioning or are you functional? So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, SLPs getting into the myofunctional therapy space, we are taught based on disorders, right? And Mm -hmm. someone can still have dysphagia if they're not collecting a bolus and swallowing correctly, right? Even if they're not choking or aspirating or like all those big signs that we're used to seeing, and that can still have implications. So functioning versus functional. A lot of people will say, well, they're functional, but are they have like looking at the whole big picture, kind of the gray area, those patients that are not in the hospital with pneumonia or something like that, as far as they're eating, but they fatigue with chewing, right? They have to use water to wash things down. All of those things also related to TMJ issues and sleep disorder breathing. And those are two areas that I would really like to see our field get more into because literally the muscles of the mouth and face affect those two things big time. And so it's not just the structure. It's not just, oh, you have big tonsils. Let's cut them out. It's the airway dilator muscles that help stint the airway open in sleep. And if those are not in good condition, you can have airway dysfunction and sleep apnea and things like that, as well as difficulty chewing and headaches and referred pain patterns with TMJ. And so I always talk about thinking of that whole quality of life, not just do they have those red flag signs that we're used to treating. It's almost a mindset shift 
of looking at things a different way. And I think in our, our system, you know, it's, it's what does insurance cover? What is the criteria for picking them up on your caseload? You have to have so many of these things. Whereas I like to really zoom out and look at that whole picture and it's served me really well. So yeah. Talk to me a little bit about Autumn. Let's like, let's take a few steps back. Cause if people really just aren't, haven't been introduced to this concept or worked with patients like this, how do you really get your referrals? Like where, how does the patient journey start or begin or end? How do they get to you essentially? Yeah, it's interesting. We get a lot of like just word of mouth and call-ins, yeah. you know, my neighbor had XYZ and you helped them and we have some of the same symptoms. So they call in and get more information. One of our biggest referral sources is other SLPs. So our field is so huge. You can't be an expert at everything. So I'm a big fan of specializing. Like I don't do language. I don't do fluency. I don't do any of that other stuff, right? This is what I do. And so oftentimes SLPs will refer patients that they know there's something muscular mechanical going on. And we hit that while they hit the other things. So that's one way. Other ways that we get referrals, we work a lot with dentists and orthodontists. When you think of orthodontics, we think of like cosmetic, right? But really it's about functionality as far as chewing and the bite and facial pain, you know, all of those things, breathing and orthodontics are just pressures and forces on the bones and the muscles and whatnot. Well, we have natural pressures and forces too. So I always tell people we can work with what the orthodontics are trying to do, or your muscles can work against it and it takes longer. And then the results aren't stable. So oftentimes people will have relapsed or stalled out on their orthodontic treatment and their orthodontist will refer them. I'd never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. Actually our largest referral source is an orthodontist, uh, which is so funny because they didn't talk to me for five years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had a case happened. together and, yeah. and I got a cake that week. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's just in our field, it's the same. It's kind of this sector over there that isn't as well known about or mainstream. And so same in the field of orthodontics and dentistry and all the other places that we, we get our referrals from. So yeah, yeah I would yeah. say that's most common is SLPs, orthodontists, some dentists. We do get some from pediatricians here and there, but a lot of self-referrals. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So as far as interdisciplinary care, who, is there anybody else that you work with or is that sort of your main referral sources, but are there any other specialties that you really work yeah. with? Oh yeah. ENT. ENT is a big one. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, ENT is a big one, especially they often go there for TMJ and ear otologic type symptoms related to it. And TMJ is right in front of that ear canal, right? So you can have fullness, vertigo, all of those type things, tinnitus, going on with TMJ. So we'll get those. Obviously they'll refer for swallow dysfunction. Sleep apnea is a big one that we get referrals for. I think so, that's actually finally seeing a lot in the literature about, you know, swallowing sleep apnea, all those. Yeah. Yeah. I would say sleep apnea is one of the biggest areas that we have really good efficacy for myofunctional therapy. So, you know, some high level, level one research systematic reviews, have said that we can reduce sleep apnea or the AHI, apnea hypopnea index, by 50% in adults and 62% in kids, wow. which is huge. So you can actually take someone from severe to mild or moderate to non-existent, right? 
So that's huge. Other people we collaborate with on the baby side, obviously we work with OTs and lactation consultants. Even though I am a lactation consultant as well, it's a whole lot to deal with both the baby and the mom side. Honestly, I collaborate with lactation consultants a lot just because handling the whole picture is plenty. Yeah. So those are the main ones that we work with. You mentioned this topic and I love this sort of theme essentially is called practice-based evidence. Yeah. Yeah. I think we tend to think of evidence as what's black and white, what's Mm -hmm. in the literature. And every single article is going to have its limitations and biases and variables that aren't controlled for and whatever. Right. But here's the thing. We have to be willing to try something and see how it's working in our patients before it can become that type of evidence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always tell people to not ignore their practice-based evidence. So if you are using a treatment strategy or technique and it's not harming anyone and your patients are getting better, that is evidence, right? Yeah. That's one form of evidence. Hopefully, it, eventually someone studies it and makes it into the journals and X, Y, Z. But yeah, practice-based evidence, someone has to do it and try it first before it can become literature evidence. I like the way that you explain it like that, because I think for me, I think of like evidence-based practice triad, right? And I think one corner of that is, you know, is experience, is the clinician experience, right? And so to me, that's what I think of. Like sometimes we just do things we do exercises, we try different positions, we try different strategies and they work and there may not be anything in the literature that says why or any of that, but we just see that it works. It's really interesting that, you know, it's like the chicken and the egg, right? Like we have to see something before it can even be studied. We don't just create a study. So I I really like, like that term because I think it, especially in the field of speech pathology, especially in, in swallowing, we just don't have these big, huge, you know, research studies to support some of the stuff that we do, or like you said, they have limitations or they're only on different patient populations. And if we're not harming anybody, then it's worth trying. And I know as a mom and all the therapy I've gone through with my son, there's, he's not a textbook, anything. So many things (laughs) to try and just say, Hey, I don't know if this is going to work for him, but let's try it. And And I think being on that side of it as a mom who's desperate for help for their child, please Mm -hmm. try it. Like, please do. And I think that's just where you have that relationship and establish that rapport with the therapist and the the parent to have that open dialogue about, you know, hey, there isn't much to support this. And we have a mutual friend who I adore dearly, who is my son's SLP. And she'll say those things like, we try this. What do you think? Like, I don't know if this is going to work for him. And I'm like, yes, please. Like, yes, yes, go. Like, She she has my full trust now, but we had a lot of dialogue like that in the beginning. So yes. Yeah. And there's always going to be a patient that doesn't check all the boxes or fit what you know. There's always those outliers and a symptom or a syndrome or, or something that you've never encountered. And so you don't have any evidence to go by as far as in the literature. And I think as SLPs, like a lot of us are very like type A rule followers to the book. And I think there's like, some fear and anxiety out there about trying something that has no negative effects, but because there isn't double blinded randomized control trial with 20 year follow up on it, like we can't do that. I think you're right. And just the transparency of like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking to do. This is why this is the reasoning. 
there aren't any studies known on this or very limited studies or, or whatnot. I think the conversation is the key there. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, something that you mentioned is nothing happens in isolation. And I think this is something that as my career has advanced, as I've gotten more experienced, I see such, I see the patient from such the bigger picture now. And like mm-hmm. we used to just, when I was doing swallow studies all the time, I used to just look at, at the airway or just look at the esophagus or just look at these very, very specific anatomical features. But now, right. you know, we see the whole picture and, and, and I like what you said too, is it functioning or is it functional and what's important to the patient? So yeah, let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. The longer that I am in the field and, and learn from other disciplines and, and see more cases and whatnot, nothing does happen in isolation. We learn about the body in systems, right? And that's why we have all these different specialties and whatnot, but they really do affect one another. For example, say someone, I'll just lead you down the path of a common presentation of a patient that I have. So Potentially someone has oral dysfunction. So what that could look like is low tongue posture, right? Now, because their tongue is not up in the roof of their mouth, that constricts their palate, all right? And then that makes nasal breathing really hard because the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. And so now we have sleep apnea and potentially some patients TMJ or jaw pain, headaches, things like that, all right? Potentially some ADHD type symptoms or potentially even a full-blown diagnosis. So how did we get from oral dysfunction to ADHD? How did we get from oral dysfunction to headaches? You know, how did we get from oral dysfunction to neck pain, right? And so you have to look at how that low tongue posture cascaded and snowballed over time. And no study is ever going to prove that. And there are so many variables and I'm never going to prove that by any means. But if they are having airway obstruction at night, because now their palate is really narrow, their tongue is low, blocking the airway, potentially, they are grinding all night long, pushing that jaw forward. And that's creating inflammation in the pterygoids, potentially referred pain to the the temporalis area or occipital area, whatnot. And that's how we, we are connecting headaches to that. Some people end up, we push our head forward to open up that airway space to breathe. And there's some crazy statistic, don't quote me on this by any means, but for every like inch forward, you add like so many pounds to your head. So no wonder you have neck pain. It's related all the way back to airway. And then if you're not sleeping well, because you're having airway obstruction, that deeper sleep is when the brain consolidates memories, removes toxins, all of that stuff. And so they've linked ADHD to sleep disordered breathing. The newer recommendations are definitely to have a sleep study and determine if that could be a factor in the ADHD type symptoms, as far as attention and hyperactivity type things. We do have to look at all these little, it's kind of like a scatter plot, all these little data points, right? And while we can't necessarily say this led to this and led to this and caused this, because we just don't know, you do see these clusters and you see these trends that happen. And when you see it time and time again, and when I treat the oral dysfunction, and their posture changes, and now their neck doesn't hurt. Like, I'm not sitting here doing like neck and shoulder exercises, like I'm not a PT by any means. But I find that our work on orofacial dysfunction has some great side effects as far as sleep and 
headaches and TMJ and things like that. So that's just one example of a common like cluster and conglomeration of symptoms and profile of patients that I see. It starts in the history. You hear it in their history. We ask, what diagnoses do you have? And have you had any other surgeries? Have you had a history of orthodontics or teeth extracted or, or, you know, whatever? And you're just like putting these little check marks and just kind of locking them away. And then you're going to see what you find on your evaluation. And oftentimes we're the ones that put it together and can kind of pull those loose ends together versus you go here to treat this, here to treat that. And no one ever talks to each other. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much. I had had like some initial conversations with people that, that work in this area, but, and it's just always amazing how many things are linked that just us as speech pathologists may not know that these are sort of within our wheelhouse and within our scope of practice. And we really can help these patients make so much progress that is really impacting their quality of life. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the most valuable things for people to do is really talk to your, you know, talk to get outside your profession. You know, I probably spend more time with people outside my specific profession than I do with those within it. And that's been really valuable to me. For example, I'm speaking at Pelvic Health Summit. I ever think I would be talking anything related to that, right? But our patients often have constipation. They're not chewing well. They often have bedwetting because of blocked airways. You know, our older patients, erectile dysfunction related to airway issues. Our older adult women with childbearing have pelvic floor dysfunction, pain with intimacy, things like that. And of course, not doing any assessment of those things, but I create a safe space for them to tell me those things. And I know the links between what I'm doing and how that can affect and refer them to a provider that specializes in that. But I've learned so much from just working with other professionals that have a different viewpoint and can ask them questions like, why would this happen? Or why is my patient reporting this when we're working on that? And they know some of those links, maybe not in the same context that I'm seeing it from, but it's really helped me put a lot of pieces together. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. Let's switch gears a little bit again. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about provider burnout. I know this is something that you're passionate about. And I think, you know, I think of you, you're one person, your knowledge base is so huge. I know you could help a bajillion people, but it's just not possible to. How do you balance that? I think a lot of times people want to get into private practice and they want to see a million (laughs) patients a week. And it sounds all well and good and great until you've been doing that for a while. And then you're like, I just can't keep going at this pace much longer. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. And it's an ongoing journey. And people talk about work life balance. There is no such thing. There really isn't. You have to get have this push and pull and this integration that has to happen. And my first landlord that I rented my first sublet two rooms from. And from a CPA, that was where my private practice started in a little CPA office. He said, we had like a lunch for the holidays together or whatnot. And he said, something that stuck with me, you can't be in it to be on it. Oh, interesting. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's true. And while I always want to treat because I teach, like I think it's important to stay fresh. I get some of my best ideas and creativity from being hands-on and working with patients. I can't do 40 hours of patient care anymore. Yeah, I just can't. And I think as the business owner, you do owe it to yourself to take some of that step back because you're handling all the things, marketing and 
referral sources and hiring and pouring into your team and, oh, the toilet has a leak and calling the plumber, whatever, all those little things till you get large enough and can hire someone to do that stuff. It's a big emotional load and mental load, I would say. So yeah, definitely I'm working on it myself always. And what you need now is not necessarily what you're going to need later. And so I've kind of cut down my caseload and I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I may need to make a change again. Be okay with making that change and adjusting. And sometimes I also think we have this feeling of we need to be doing something, doing, doing, doing all the time. And sometimes the most productive that I can do is just be. Yeah. Because when I give myself space and time and like that mental clarity that happens is huge. So I know, I think you've been doing 75 hard, right? And uh, yeah, and I'm not doing 75 hard, but I've been on like my own health journey and lost 40 pounds working hard, just healthy exercise and diet. I mean, not rocket science, but carving out that space. I think we talk about self-care as in like pedicures and massages. Like that's all well and fine. And don't get me wrong. I love a good spa day, right? But that's not what self-care needs to be a daily thing, whether that's 10 minutes in the morning of meditating or making sure you take time for your lunch or making sure you get outside every day, something like that. So building those things into your life, build things around those, not like fitting them in is what I've found. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was a huge thing for me. You know, people think 75 hard is totally crazy and extreme, but for me, it's a, it gives me structure to make sure that I do get outside for a walk every day, make sure that I do have me time built in for a workout. And yeah, Yeah. I build those things into my schedule first, and then I build things around that. And it's the only way that I can function as a business owner, as a mom is, and, and sometimes it's super early in the morning. Sometimes it's super late at night. Like the day doesn't always go as planned, but it's a win the majority of the time. And and that feels really good. It helps me. It it just gives me so much clarity. Like when Mm -hmm. I start to just get really in the weeds and really, I don't want to say depressed, but just like in a funk about things and things just don't seem to be going my way or working out, or it's it's easy to just sort of fall into that sulking game. Yes. Me staying on top of my workouts and healthy eating and that stuff keeps me out of that and just keeps me very clear and focused on what I'm doing. And it's taken me a long time to realize that, but I, I can't, you know, sometimes you do slip up a little bit, but I could never go back to completely not living this way. A hundred percent. It does become a lifestyle. And I think we struggle. Time is our most precious commodity. It's hard. You really do have to make the time. It is difficult. But if you make certain things like just what you do and your routine or like a non-negotiable, and it's all about the comeback. We all have days that don't go as planned and stuff that steals our attention and we don't get our workout in, or we don't get to do whatever the thing is that is our self-care. It's all about the comeback. It's the getting back to it tomorrow or go on vacation or have a break or whatever. When you come back, you're back in it. So yeah, that power of the comeback is a big one for me. Yes. This conversation has been lovely, Autumn. Is there anything else that we wanted to, I know we sort of covered a lot here. We did. I know. I know. A hodgepodge of topics, but I love it. That's okay. No, no. I'm super passionate about this area and I love it and would love more SLPs or whoever else is listening. Get curious and 
be interested in these things and explore if it if it's an area that you want to get into. There's definitely no shortage of patients for sure. It doesn't have to be your specialty, but integrating things into your current setting is always something that can be done and just things that to look out for on your radar. But yeah, I'm happy to connect with anybody that is interested and just has questions. Yeah. Awesome. If, if anybody's interested in learning more about what you do or, or just about the, the things that you treat, where can people find you or what are some good resources that you would send people to? Yeah. Yeah. So probably our website, just you have show notes, I'm guessing. Yep. Our website and we have resources. We have a few like resource guides, like, okay, oral dysfunction and TMJ, oral dysfunction and sleep apnea or swallowing issues, some free resource guides, and then a ton of podcasts. So this one will be on our website. So that's always a fun way to learn and free way to learn. And then, yeah, just shoot me an email or a DM on Instagram if you want to talk more. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Autumn. I appreciate you. Thank you. You too, Teresa, and everything you do for our field. Oh, thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.